Good morning. Do you guys enjoy baptism as much as I do? It's good. One of the things that we get to celebrate together as a, as a family uh, in Christ together is the idea that people do get up and profess their faith publicly. And it is one of the most wonderful things as you look throughout history, specifically even you look to the life of Christ, he went down into that river to be baptized by John the Baptist. And as John the Baptist was probably trying to talk him out of it at the time, John's thinking, I shouldn't be baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. What are we doing here? Jesus says to him, no, this is to fulfill all that God has commanded. And that's the same for us as followers in Christ. What he's called us to is to follow him fully with all of our lives, have him be Lord of our lives, and follow him in baptism and publicly let everyone know that we're following him that way. So I want to encourage you, if you are a follower of Christ and haven't been able to follow him in baptism yet, let us know. Send us a note. Let somebody on staff know. Uh, even before you leave today, we'd love to get you connected and walk you through that. Make sure you understand what we believe here about baptism and then follow him well in it. We can just leave the baptismal full. We'll do some every week if that's what we need. So uh, we'll just do that and keep moving forward. So we're going to be in Psalm chapter 4. So turn to Psalm 4 if you haven't already. One of the unique things in Psalm 4 is this. We pick up a Psalm of David. And we've been talking as we've been walking our way through some Psalms this summer that the Psalms are kind of the place where God deals with and, and the Psalmists show us how to deal with our emotions and to deal with what comes at us in life. When things come that we enjoy, when things we're thankful for, when things come that we're not thankful for, when difficulties come. This particular Psalm in Psalm 4, and I always want to give you a little bit of background before we dig into it is a Psalm of David. So David's writing this Psalm. Psalm three and four kind of go together. Psalm three is a morning Psalm. Psalm four is an evening Psalm, as was known for the people of Israel. And David writes these Psalms at a particular point in his life where things are not going smoothly. He writes these two Psalms at a time where his son has overthrown him to be the king of Israel. Absalom has taken the throne in Jerusalem. David has had to flee the city with his closest confidants and part of his armed guard and some of the people who are following him. And they have, fl they have fled out of the city and across the river and they are then kind of camped out. And David writes these two Psalms in that place in his life. Not just anyone taking the throne, but his son taking the throne from him forcibly. So that could be a very disconcerting piece for a parent, I'm sure. I've never walked in those shoes. I've never had to be where David was at. But as you read and as you think just about life in general, David is at a tough spot when he writes this psalm in Psalm 4. And particularly this psalm is a psalm that David wanted to be recited or, or repeated even for himself in the evening before he was going to bed. So take all that kind of in consideration as you're taking notes and maybe you have your psalm journal with you and take some notes, write some things down. As we walk our way through this, know that that's the actual firsthand experience that David's in the middle of right here. Psalm 4. Let's read our way through. It's eight verses. I'm going to read it for us. Follow along with me and then we'll start taking apart some of the things God has for us this morning. Psalm 4 verse 1 says this, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O oh, men, 
how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. There are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. My prayer this morning is that the Lord would help us see how the events of our lives can apply to how David is handling a particularly difficult event in his life. And what does it mean for us to follow the Lord in what the Psalms and much of Scripture consistently calls in the way of the righteous? And David is pursuing the way of the righteous here. Now, we know David's life. If you know his story, there are times when he was righteously living for the Lord, and then there are times when he was not. He is not a perfect guy. He's a man like the rest of us, broken by sin. He has major points of failure in his adult life, even in his kingship. But he repents and turns back to the Lord, and the Lord continues to use him. And as we get to Psalm 4 here, the events that are in David's life are largely an effect of the sin that he's already committed. While David walked through uh, adultery, murder, lying, and all those things, when he came back to repentance, the Lord forgave him completely, wiped his slate clean. But his earthly effects of his sin, the Lord allowed to continue. He lost his son with Bathsheba. He has a son here steal the throne from him. The Lord says, the sword shall never depart from your family. There will constantly be turmoil for the rest of David's life. But in the midst of all those things, David goes back to the Lord. This is a very tough lesson for us. I think largely as people, just as human beings, it's much easier to profess our faith and to act on our faith in Christ when our lives look exactly how we want them to. When they look to be moving in the direction that we think they should move in. When there's tangibly this idea of the Lord's blessing is just all upon me right now. And the difficulty is, do we say the same things? Do we profess the same beliefs? Do we follow Jesus the same way when things aren't going that way? Because he doesn't change yesterday, today, or forever. It's us that changes. And largely, what we will profess in the most difficult times in life is what our hearts are really holding on to. And if we profess like David, our trust and faith in the Lord and his goodness, that's where our heart is really grounded. Let's look at the kind of this formula that God gives us through David for how to respond in life. And I'm going to use one particular emotion. When people make you angry. Anybody ever been angry? Come on now. I know you have. <laughs> We've been angry. Things happen. 
And in particular, people can evoke that response from us. Ways they treat us, way they respond to ways we treat them. Things they do that affect our lives. Sometimes it's just the general sin of the world and brokenness that comes upon us and we end up with this emotion of anger. And you've probably heard the beginning of verse four. Be angry and do not sin. That's a familiar verse. But what we have to be able to do is take that verse and drop it in the middle of the context with which it comes. It comes in the middle of eight verses, not just one line. The ability to be angry and not sin only fleshes itself out if we've placed our complete trust in Jesus. And we look to the Lord for whatever is going on. Because apart from that, you'll be angry and you'll sin. So will I. Anger leads to sin. Unless we turn to God. Let's look at what he has for us here as David walks his way through and he cries out to the Lord in verse one. The first thing we should do when life and people have a tendency to make you angry is this. Turn and look to the Lord. Verse one. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. What does David do when his son, his own son, forcibly overtakes his throne and throws him out of his city. What does David do? He turns to God. That's the only direction that's going to save you. Look to the Lord. He says, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. See, first David knows who God is to him. Who God is to him is God is his righteousness. Not himself, not anything he can do, not in his own response to what's going on in life, not in the things that he's already done in his life. David doesn't find his righteousness in those things. He looks straight to the Lord. Oh God of my righteousness, please hear me, is where David starts. And then it's unique where he goes here. In the second part of verse one, he says, you have given me relief when I was in distress. See, look at the tense of that particular part of the verse. You have given. That's past tense. Past experiences embolden the faithful to confident prayer. That's what God does. When God acts in your life, if you do not look back and remember all he's done for you, you won't do what David's doing and turn to him in faithful prayer. But past experiences with God, they embolden us. That when things hit us, we turn right to the Lord and we say, I'm coming to you first. <laughs> because you have given me relief from my distress. Not currently. See, David's already in the middle of distress right now. David's on the run. He's living in a camp. He was the king. Technically still, under God's rule, is the king of Israel. He's running for his life from his own son, with a small ragtag group of people. It was a large fall from where he had been. He was in the middle of a current distress, but what did he do? He remembered all his previous distresses and how good God was and how God did bring him relief 
And therefore, if you know the character of God, you know that he has delivered you in the past and he has consistently done so, guess what? In the middle of what you're in right now, he will do the same. And that's what David is professing here. He says, please hear me, God. God of my righteousness, you have given me relief when I was in distress. See, his past experiences embolden him to confident prayer. Confident prayer. In the middle of not knowing what's next, confidently praying. Too often we look elsewhere in times of distress. See, when people come at us with things, as much like is happening to David here as he's writing this psalm, too often, in order for relief from that kind of distress, we often look to our own vindication, right? Sometimes that even creeps into our prayer life. Somebody does something towards us that is unjust, that you don't deserve, and part of even your prayer life starts to say, you know what, God, vindicate me. Show everybody the truth. See, in that... We're not turning to the Lord and his righteousness. We're turning to our own vindication. And we're asking the Lord to make us the primary part of the story. And that's not what we see in scripture. See, often we'll turn to our own vindication. Sometimes we'll turn to someone else's demise. David here in this, now in other parts, in other parts of the psalm, David does declare some imprecatory psalms upon the unrighteous and the sinful that are attacking God's glory. But here, especially maybe because it's his son that we're talking about, David doesn't even desire his demise. But we often do, right? Somebody does something unrighteous to us. Somebody does something unjust to us. What do you, oh, Lord, I hope they pay for that. See, that's not a righteous prayer. That's a self-seeking prayer. Instead of saying, God of my righteousness, you've delivered me out of distress before. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. God's the only one worthy of us turning to in times of need. He is the only one that will remain steadfast when everything else seems to be breaking and shaking and crumbling around us. He is the one who will remain consistent Here's another lesson we learn here as David looks to the Lord. One of the things I love about the Psalms is they were meant to be talked out loud or sang out loud. And why do we think that is? Here's something that's interesting about us as human beings. When we speak truth out loud, it reminds us of who God is and what he's done. That, that's why knowing the truth is one thing, but speaking the truth is another thing. Talking about who God is and what he's done. David says this right out loud. He wants this to be a prayer that's said in the evening while he's on the run. God is righteous. He's delivered me. Be gracious and hear me. Sometimes I think we need to build better habits in our lives of speaking truth. Too often our prayer lives are full of what we would like from the Lord. And God's okay with us coming with our requests. But what's the prescription of how God declares we should come to him? Come to him with hearts of thanksgiving. It's okay to make your request known to God. Philippians 4 tells us that. Come and make your request to the Lord, but do it with a heart of thanksgiving, remembering all that God is doing and has done in your life. We need to speak the truth of God out loud. It reminds us of his character and what he's done particularly in our stories. 
Secondly, verse two and three. Let's take a look here. He says, oh man, how long shall my honor be named, be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? David here is talking to those who were high of rank, high up, this word, oh men. The, the word there used for men is not just a blanket phrase to any male individual or even just any human being. It's actually a phrase in the Hebrew that's relating to those of high rank. David's talking to the guys who turned their back on him and went with Absalom. He's saying, you guys that know me, that have served under me, that have served alongside me, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? It's a warning to them. See, Absalom is known as a very smooth-talking leader. He was a very charismatic leader. And in fact, when you do some research and kind of walk your way through a character study of Absalom, he lied often, and people believed it. So David looks at these and writes to these men, how long are you going to turn my name into shame, my honor? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? See, one of the interesting things here that David does is he confronts what's really going on. And I think a good example for us in life is when things do come towards us, if they're unrighteous, if they're not of the Lord, if they are unjust in our lives, we have to make sure to name what's really going on. And he says here, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will vain words and you seek after lies? He knows these men are being deceived. He doesn't vilify these guys. Because he knows that they've been led astray. But he comes to them with questions and a warning. Turn back from the road you've chosen to take and come back to what you know God has instituted. See, confronting the enemy and respecting the godly is key even when you're having a hard time seeing through life. Confronting the enemy and respecting the godly That's what verse three is. Verse three says, but know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call him. There's this constant kind of two directions that we see through wisdom literature and scripture. The way of the wise and the way of the fool. The way of the righteous and the way of the unrighteous. And David's contrasting this right here in verses two and three. Absalom is unrighteous. And those who have followed him have been foolish. But in turn, David, and remember, not all the time in David's life, but at this point in David's life, he's walking with the Lord. And a lesson for us when we're going through difficulty is this. Much too often, we fail to know what is to be honored and what is to be turned away from. And when you get in the middle of a difficult moment in your life or a difficult season in your life, knowing what is righteous and unrighteous is going to be really key. Because our hearts, as the Lord tells us in Scripture, are deceitfully wicked and will lead us astray. So we have to be able to pause and take moments like David is before he goes to bed at night and he's saying, Lord, please hear me. These men that I know, that I know are being led astray, I hope that they turn back. But the godly, 
are heard by the Lord. If you're anything like me, there's some moments where, and I think we all probably have these, we see these in scripture from godly people as well, where we get in the middle of a situation and we stop and say, I don't think the Lord is hearing me at all. The Lord always hears you. Always. He might not answer the way you would like him to, and he might not answer in your timeline. But he always hears you, and David is declaring that in these verses. God, you hear me. He says to these men, the word's going to get around to them, the Lord hears when I call to him. That's a warning. The Lord will hear me. See, confronting the enemy, the right enemy, and respecting the godly is something that Scripture is very clear on. And we as those who are following, trying to follow Christ well and follow him together as a family of God, we need to understand when to confront the enemy and name it and when to respect the godly and follow them. And I hope desperately that in your life you know who those two places and people are. Who are the people you turn to and say, these are the people I take my cues from. These are the people I respect and want to model my life after. These are the people I want to imitate in life and in following Christ. These are the people that I'm going to look to for my cues. Because respecting the godly is an important part of following God as a whole. There are always going to be those who have followed the Lord longer than you. And those are the people that you should look to. Looking to the Lord is the first thing prescribed here in Psalm 4. Secondly, confront the enemy and respect the godly in verses 2 and 3. This word, the godly, that's used there at the end of verse 3, or in the middle of verse 3, God has set apart the godly for himself. It's also a word used in Scripture to be described as the saints, the faithful ones, and the holy ones. Saints, faithful ones, and holy ones. This is who you look to. This is who you can be confident the Lord is going to hear from. And if you're anything like me, you know those people. They're prayer warriors. They pray stuff and stuff happens. It's kind of crazy. I know who those people are in my life. I know who to call when I'm going through something really difficult. I know who to make that phone call and say, this isn't going to be a person that I call and say, hey, will you pray for me? And they're going to forget tomorrow. No, there's those saints, faithful ones, the godly ones who go in front of us, who you know they're praying, and they're praying every day. You don't have to ask them every day. You just know they are. My grandmother was one of these people. So was my grandfather before he passed. But later in life, my grandmother, she would have these lists in her room. And uh, at the time, she was living with my parents. And sometimes I'd go up and sit with her in her room, and she would have these just pages of names. She just kind of prayed through. As she could get through them in the day, she prayed through all these people. And she had a calendar just for family. So all the names of family, they're on different parts. And those are people that you can be confident the Lord hears. Those are the people to respect and go to when you're going through difficult moments. Look to the Lord, confront the enemy, respect the godly. Verse four, 
David transitions a little bit here and starts to speak to the people that are around him that have fled with him. So now he's not talking to the people who have betrayed him and stayed with Absalom, those who were even serving in the military with him. Now he's talking to the people that are around him. Some are those who served with him that faithfully went with him. Some are just people that wanted to follow God's king. And he looks at them and says this in verse four, be angry and do not sin. What is David doing here? David's helping his friends. See, in the middle of distress, this is something we need to be able to do. Help your friends. When you're going through a difficult time, help your friends. What is the protection that happens here when you help others in the midst of going through something unbelievably difficult yourself? You're showing them, I know the world isn't about me. I know that even this trial isn't about me. All of life is about God, and I'm going to honor him in the midst of every circumstance. So even in the middle of you going through difficult times, what should you do? Help your friends. So David looks around at those with him, and he says, be angry and do not sin. Have an emotion, but make the right decision. It's okay to have an emotion. Anger is not sin. Otherwise, he wouldn't say it here, and God wouldn't preserve it for us. There are things in life that should evoke particular emotions in our hearts. But how you act upon those emotions will show who you're turning to. Be angry and don't sin. And that's a fine line. But God defines it to us. And David here encourages those around him. See, isn't that what they should be saying to him at the moment? It's his son that actually had the gall to stand up and take his throne. It's his son who is actually lying and leading others astray. It's his son who ran him out of town. Others should be saying to David, easy, David. I mean, we know David to be the guy. Saul had killed his thousands in battle, but David had killed his ten thousands. This is not a man to be trifled with. But look at the character of David here. He's been through a lot in life. He's been through ups and downs, and he has seen the Lord continue to provide. And when he is in the midst of this difficulty, it's not the masses encouraging him to make the right decision. It's him saying, hey, listen, It's okay to be upset about this, the scenario we're in. It's okay to be upset, but just don't sin. Don't turn from God. Don't take matters into your own hands. Don't sin, even though your emotions are telling you to. He goes on. How do we be angry and not sin? Ponder in your own hearts on your beds. And here are three really important words. Ready? You see him? And be silent. Where does anger usually turn to sin first? Right out of our mouths. Right out of our mouths. And what typically happens is a snowball starts turning downhill when we're talking about it. And how unjust it is and how horrible it is and how much we don't deserve this. And it just snowballs. And the more we talk, the more momentum it gains. And then what happens? What comes out of our mouth, which has started this momentum, turns into action eventually because we've worked ourselves up. 
So what's the solution? Lay down and shut up. That's a, spir- that's a spiritual prescription. It's right in here. Be silent. Same, same phrase. Modern translation. Lay down and be quiet. Why? Because your words are not in control of the situation. God is. So go to bed and please don't talk right now. Because whatever's going to come out is not going to be helpful. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. There's a little word here in scripture that follows here, selah. And selah is this word that effectively tells us there's a little bit of, uh, you know, a couple different interpretations of that. It either means get loud and praise the Lord at that moment or pause and don't say anything. I think in this particular context, he's saying, ponder in your own hearts on your bed, be angry, do not sin, and okay, quiet. That's it. You know how hard that is when you're upset about something? I mean, I know how hard it is when I'm upset about something. I'm genetically disposed to anger. I'm Irish. Okay? This is something you have to be able to understand in light of not only your emotions, but seeing the world the way that God sees it. He is in control, not you. Typically, anger rises up when that reality becomes evident to us, that I am not in control. So what's the prescription that God gives us in that moment when you want to be upset and you want to start talking about it? Lie down, be quiet, go to sleep. It's the middle of the day, take a nap. But don't talk. Just allow the Lord to work in your heart. Give him some time. Selah, pause. Verse five. After you've done that, pondered in your hearts, on your beds, you've been quiet, you've paused, so the Lord can talk to you, then offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. What's God telling us here? I know you're worked up. I know you're angry. I know you didn't deserve what happened. Hit the brakes. Be quiet. Think about what God's telling you. And then offer right sacrifices and trust him. Folks, I hate to say it, but it really doesn't get much clearer than verse four and five. I know we want a lot of different solutions. I know we look in a lot of different directions for help. God's the only one worthy of us turning to, and he has prescribed for us exactly what we should do when we don't like life or people. Quiet, pause, listen, turn to him, and then, after the Lord's worked on your heart, gotten you to a better place, offer right sacrifices, place your faith and trust in him again, and start moving forward. Is it easy? Absolutely not. Think it was easy for David? No way. David's living in a tent in the wilderness. 
while his son is in his palace. It's not easy. It's not easy what he's saying here. But one of the things the godly do is the godly will help out their friends around them by pointing them in the right direction. Look to the Lord, confront the enemy, respect the godly, help out your friends. There's a process that we see here. Emotion, decision, worship, and trust. Okay, get your pen out, write that down, ready? Emotion, decision, worship, and trust. If you're struggling with discipline and self-control in your life, that is the solution. You will have emotions. You will need to decide what you're going to do. Turn to the Lord or turn back. You then are called to worship. Not, not when it's all over. Right in it. Emotion, decision, worship. That's what David's doing right here. He's in the middle of it. Worship now. And then trust him. Because he is the God who has done everything and relieved all your distress previously, and he will do the same today. Worship, emotion, decision, worship, and trust. It's a formula for a godly life and a healthy response to others and to our own emotions. Lastly, verse six through eight, David wraps up by praising the Lord. Praise the Lord, he says. Verse six, there are many who will say, who will show us some good? David's aware that there are people in his camp that are like, when are we gonna catch a break? When's the tide gonna turn here? When's we gonna do something about this? David says, there's many who will say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. And here's David's response in verse seven, to those cries from the people. He says to the Lord, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and their wine abound. What's he saying there? Wine and grain are a mark of wealth and sustenance in David's world. And what is David acknowledging? Going from the palace and the kingship to a tent in the wilderness, he's saying, you've put more joy in my heart than anything in this world could ever fill me with. There are no possessions out there that are going to give you what God can give you. David acknowledges that he's living it right now while he's writing these words. You've put more joy in my heart than when they have all the grain and wine they could ever imagine. What's that look like for us? Can we confidently step back and say, God, you have put more joy in my heart than all the money and fame and recognition than anyone pursues. The joy of the Lord's better. He goes on. He says in verse eight, in peace, I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. You think David and the people he's with are feeling real safe in the middle of the wilderness, totally exposed, probably outnumbered? David says, my safety doesn't fall and having tall walls around me. My safety doesn't lie in having the bigger army. 
he is professing his safety alone is in the Lord. That's it. Joy and peace, verses seven and eight. The joy of knowing God is better than anything else that you'll ever search after or look to in life. I just want to read two verses for you from the book of John that talk to us about this very truth from the mouth of Jesus. Jesus says in John 15, verse 11, he says, these things I have spoken to you. He's talked about the Father's love. That's what he's talking about. He says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. And that word full means totally overwhelming. Jesus says, I've talked to you about the love of the Father so that my joy can be in you and that your joy will be totally overflowing. Later in John 16, verse 33, he says this, Yet I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace, joy and peace. That in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Our God changes darkness to light. He changes discouragement to joy, and he changes turmoil to peace. That's why David can confidently write these words in the middle of probably the hardest season of his life. He can confidently turn to the Lord and acknowledge his goodness. Look to the Lord, confront the enemy, respect the godly, help your friends, and praise the Lord. There's a formula for godly living in the midst of a broken world, which we all experience. Let's take our cues from David, who took his cues from the Lord, and let's imitate them as we go forward. How do we respond to difficulty? How do the faithful respond in difficult moments? Take the words from Psalm 4 and ingrain them somewhere. You may not be in a season of difficulty right now. You might be in a season of joy. But inevitably, at some point in our broken world, you'll experience some hardship. And when you do, go to the Lord. He's got the answers for you. He's got the formula for you to walk through it in a righteous manner. Emotions, decisions, worship, and then trust Him.